Well, good morning. Uh, so, uh, do you all know what I'm speaking on? Mm. Does it make you nervous? So let me ask you a question about the upcoming federal election. And, and if you're comfortable to do this, uh, uh, you can uh, raise your hands. Uh, how many of you already know who you're going to vote for in the federal election? Any of you willing to say that? Okay, we've got a few of you. Cool, all those election ads, then they're just a waste of money for you. This is good. How many of you would say, Doug, I am not telling you anything? Right? <laughs> One more question. Who thinks that churches and preachers in particular should stay away from all things political? Like, we really shouldn't be doing what I'm about to do. Any? That's not bad. Okay, we got a couple. You came anyways. That's good. That's good. So in case you uh, don't connect with Fort City social media or uh, things like that, uh, or for some other reason you don't know, today I'm going to talk about how we navigate the upcoming election as followers of Jesus. How do we respond to the polarization and outrage that has become so strong in what used to be a very meek and mild Canadian culture? These are not meek and mild times, are they? I got the idea for this message uh, from Andy Stanley, he, a message he did just before the last American election. In fact, I'm going to use a lot of stuff from uh, Stanley in today's message. Uh, since the American election, I, I, I think for better or worse, probably worse, Canadian politics has started to become much more American in style. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, I, that's my, my observation. Let me also acknowledge one other source that has influenced my thinking and my look, uh, my study of the Bible on all of this, and that's a newer book called Christians in the Age of Outrage, How to Bring Our Best When Our World is at Its Worst. It's by Ed Stetzer. Uh, Stetzer works with Lifeway Books. He's the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College in Chicago. And by the way, if you are ever in Chicago, you should go do the interactive walk that's part of the Billy Graham Center. It's awesome, inspiring. I, I actually choked a bit the first time I, I went through it. Just powerful. Stetzer is also the interim pastor at the well-known historic Moody Church in Chicago, founded uh, by a 19th century preacher, Dwight Moody, that some of you may have heard of. Anyways, Christians in an Age of Outrage is a good, although very American, read. But as I said, Canada is acting a lot more like America these days. So I have a goal for today's message, and that is I want to challenge you between now and October 21st to put your faith ahead of your politics. To put your faith ahead of your politics. In other words, to put your faith filter on first and, and let your political filter maybe go down a notch or two from your, you know, to be a Christ follower first and a conservative or liberal or PPC or NDB or Green second and this being Alberta, I'm not expecting any of you to be supporting the Bloc Québécois. Most of you can't vote BQ anyways un unless uh, you're considered a Quebec resident like some commuters are here. And this is, by the way, where we're not like America, where in the U.S. there are really only two main parties. We got five, six if you include the BQ. Two that we would consider to be on the right of the spectrum, three to the left, uh, BQ would be the left as well, and three to the right if you, can, uh, if you include the libertarians who seem to be kind of knocked out of the picture right now by the PPC. But anyways, there's some words of Jesus that I, I, I want you to hang on to as you keep your faith ahead of your politics. It's where Jesus zeroed in on what is absolutely core to our faith. So what does it mean to be a Christian? 
What is the absolute bottom line of what it means to follow Jesus? Jesus makes this really clear. He, he was answering a question that a Jewish teacher of the law threw at him, and the teacher of the law asks, of all of the commandments, what is the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We call this the Jesus Creed because this is the core of our faith. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who loves God with all they've got and they love their neighbor as themselves. If you want the cliff notes of Christianity, it's this. Love God. Love your neighbor. If you understand that, you understand the Christian faith. It really is that simple. Now, I want you to hang on to that phrase. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's really the key to the message and just how we approach everything as followers of Jesus. Because in the end, loving God and loving your neighbor is the most important thing. You know that. You, you get that. Even if you're not a Christian, you, you get that loving your neighbor is absolutely critical. So as important as politics are, as important as it is that you all get out and vote, and please, please vote in this election, exercise your democratic right to uh, register your opinion. So as important as all this is, and as amped up as some of you get about political things, at the end of the day, you know. You know deep inside of yourself you know that there are more important things. You know that at the end of the day, your faith is really more important. You know that. So that's why I'm challenging you between now and October 21st that you put your faith, and that particularly you put love ahead of politics. But hear me. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an opinion. I can assure you, I have an opinion. I'm pretty sure Jane thinks I have an opinion on everything, but we won't go there right now. But I do have strong opinions on the political front, but it would be wrong of me to use the pulpit to push my politics. But, but here's where it gets confusing. I actually believe that what I think about politics is consistent with my understanding of the Bible. I do. But, but here's what's also true. I have some very good, close Christian friends who have different political views than mine, and they find support for what they believe from the Bible as well. If any of you follow me on Facebook, you, you will see friends of mine, particularly from Ontario and BC, and funny that it's often geographical, but good Christians who are taking issue with views I post on Facebook, I, I have good Christian friends who use the Bible to push back on positions I take. I also have some good American friends, a good number actually, and they're quick to say to me, Doug, the reason I'm a Republican is because I'm a Christian, and I got other American friends uh, who say, Doug, the reason I'm a Democrat is because I'm a Christian. And, and in Canada, you will find Christians, uh, or at least churchgoers, in, in most political parties. Elizabeth May of the Green Party has been a Sunday school teacher in the United Church. Andrew Scheer is a practicing Roman Catholic. Stephen Harper, former leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, comes from our church family, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Preston Manning, who used to leave the Reform Party and lost out on leading the Conservatives too. Stephen Harper is also from our church family, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, Preston Manning's daughter, Robin, uh, for a number of years served on the pastoral team at First Alliance Church in Calgary. The founder of the NDP Party, Tommy Douglas, was a ba Baptist pastor and evangelist. Uh, 
In our last provincial election, Stephen Drover, who ran for the NDP here in Fort McMurray, is part of our church family, Fort City, and also here in Fort McMurray, uh, Matthew Barrett, who's running for the People's Party of Canada in this federal election, attends McMurray Gospel Assembly. My point is, it's great that you have an opinion. It's okay for some of you men, you know, to yell at your TVs and heckle uh, opinions and leaders you don't agree with, particularly it's okay inside the privacy of your own home. It's okay that you have an opinion, and it's also okay that we will not all agree. Even in the same church family, we will not all agree. So for the record, I am not suggesting that all Christians should vote for any particular candidate or that Christians should lean into one party. All I'm really trying to do with this message is to challenge you to put your faith ahead of your politics. Still, I I get pushback. Those on the right, those who have a traditionally conservative set of values, often social values, family values, they they find more support for the values in right-leaning parties like the conservatives. Conservatives tend to be more law and righteousness oriented. And Doug... I get this. Don't you know the story of Jesus when he went to Matthew, the tax collector's house, and, and the Pharisees were all disturbed that Jesus, Jesus was hanging out with sinners? Well, what did Jesus say? It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I mean, follow this, Doug. I, Jesus says, I haven't come to call the righteous because the righteous are just fine. I have come to call the sinners to repentance. Did you ever notice that in the Bible? Doug, it's there. There are people on the right, the righteous, and they are right, and then there are the sinners, and... So I'm on the right with the right-leaning conservatives and everybody else, the lefties, they are sinners. Right just means righteous, and left must mean sinners. And then those on the left, liberals, NDP, Greens, respond and say, come on, Jesus was just a healthcare dispensing machine. Universal healthcare, free drugs. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, he dispensed healthcare for free. People lined up for hours, right? There were no extra charges, no two-tier healthcare system. I mean, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? And Doug, add to that, Jesus was always getting on the case of the rich people. He said that rich people aren't going to make it to heaven because, you know, of how they use sewing needles or something like that. You, you remember the story about needles and camels. And one more thing, Jesus gave away food, like free food on at least two occasions. And after Jesus fed those 5,000, they had all of this extra food. And you read, they all ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Come on, dog. It's right in the book. Wonderful left-leaning socialist values. Jesus was clearly NDP, maybe even green. And for those in the libertarian and PPC camps, they point out, well, didn't Jesus say you will know the truth and the truth will set you free? There you go, freedom, liberated. And then the Apostle Paul said in a letter to the Thessalonians, work hard with your own hands and mind your own business. Mind your own business, Paul said it. We should mind our own businesses individually. We should mind our own businesses nationally. There you go, God clearly leans towards the libertarian or PPC parties. And that cynical, not so accurate spoof of the Bible and politics comes compliments of Andy Stanley. Serious though. The problem is the way we Christians often use the Bible is we, we grab a verse from here and there to make a point without necessarily understanding the whole picture of what the Bible has to say. And, and when you use the Bible for political proof texts, as some Christians like to do, no, no matter where you stand politically, and despite that spoof, you, you actually can find something in the Bible that supports your stand, You you can quote Jesus at some point to support some part of every party platform. 
But when you read the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're honest in your reading, you'll, you'll see that Jesus really didn't come to take sides. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Think about that. You, you really can't use Jesus or proof text of some of the things he said to gain support for your political position. Jesus came to call you to follow him, to put him first. Jesus says to us, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus came to take over, not to take sides. And, and what you see Jesus modeling during his days on earth is his irrational, crazy love for people, all people including the violent Roman occupiers with their vicious totalitarian government, corrupt tax collectors, religious leaders, and <clears throat> yeah, religious zealots who were really almost like Jewish terrorists, extremists, and then ordinary, everyday people. Jesus came for the good of people, all people, regardless of their politics, religion, lifestyle practices, yada, yada, yada. He, he came to lead people into what's best for them. The best lives now and the best lives forever. Jesus always put what was best for people first. Now I get it. I get it. This is still not straightforward, right? Because what one party thinks is best for people is different than what another party thinks is best for people. But, but here's where we have common ground. We all agree what's best for people is best. And that, by the way, is an Andy Stanley statement. What's best for people is best. We might not agree on what is best for people, but we all agree what's best for people is best. Does that make sense? As you read the stories of Jesus, the Gospels, Jesus was for what's best for people. The Apostle John put it this way. In that, you know that famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God was for the world so much so that he sent his son to pay the ultimate price on their behalf, on behalf of the people of the world. God wants what's best for us. What's best for us is best. So you read the Gospels and you see that Jesus loved people and put people first. And, and you know, I mean, you've heard this lots if you've hung around here. The thing that drove Jesus crazy is when religious people would use religious laws to hurt people. And then Jesus would just rail out, hey, God did not create people for the law. God created the law for people. God did not create people for religion. God created religion, Christianity for people. It's all about what's best for us is best. So you remember the scripture I asked you to hang on to at the start of the message, what we call the Jesus Creed. This is what Jesus says is the core of our faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the most important thing for a Christian, really for anyone, but this is the essence of what makes you a Christian, is you love God with all you got, and the second command there is like it. It's equivalent. It's, it's really on the same level. Love your neighbor as yourself is every much, every bit as important as loving God. In fact, if you're not loving your neighbor, you are not loving God. The idea here is that if you, you know, is that you love God, we, we tend to love God on the inside, and you demonstrate that love on the outside. And, and how do you demonstrate the love of God on the outside? Well, is it church attendance? Not really as important as church attendance is. Rather, you demonstrate your love for God, heart, soul, mind, and strength by the way you treat other people. So let's apply this to our federal election. 
What if you said, I'm going to consistently love my neighbor as myself. I'm, I'm just going to do for others what I would want others to do for me. Imagine if every Christian did that. I mean, imagine if every Canadian did that. Imagine how profoundly that would change our country for the better. If we really did this, think about it. Our laws would be irrelevant. We could just leave them on the books, but they would never be tested. Our country would be completely different. That's what Jesus meant when he said, all the law and prophets hang on love. Love God, love others. If you really understand this, you don't need any laws. Let me introduce you to a Christian leader from the past that both Protestants and Catholics appreciate, uh, that Catholics call a saint. It's uh, Augustine of Hippo. Uh, Hippo's in North Africa, and he was around from around 354 to 430. Uh, Augustine was a church dropout, a rebel who rejected all the rules of the church, and really in the process became quite the sex addict. But he had a praying mom. And let me tell you, there is power, lots of power to a praying mom. And he said this about coming back to faith in a book called Confessions. What was it that delighted me? Only loving and being loved. At first he looked for love in all the wrong places and it led to misery and pain. Eventually he experienced the love of Jesus personally, was filled with the spirit of love. It was life transforming. And so Augustine, as a result, he preached a whole lot about our need to demonstrate love to others and to meet other people's need to be loved. Even today. I mean, our world craves love, right? And uh, we who follow Jesus know that our God is love, that it is out of love that he sent Jesus to the world. That to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the spirit of love. Love is core to who we are. So what's with Christians who preach love and then act unloving and speak in unloving ways? Friends, that's a total contradiction. That's why so many out there say they like Jesus, but not the church, because the church, you and me, we don't always look very loving. There was a survey done by a group uh, called Lifeway Research. That's part of what Ed Stetzer, who I introduced you to, uh, uh, is kind of CEO over. And this research got reported on CNN. Uh, don't hold that against them, those of you who think CNN leans one way or another. Anyways, they did a poll. That, that revealed that 79% of those surveyed agreed somewhat strongly or very strongly that Christianity today is more about organized religion than loving God and loving people. And, and then that poll went on and, and they did another question and 44% agreed or somewhat strongly agreed uh, that Christians get on my nerves. Yeah. And you know, when, when surveys like that are done in Canada, the negative percentages go even higher. You know, it's pretty clear that the watching world does not sense that we are engaging them with winsome love, right? So when a Christian talks about the love of Jesus, even posts Bible verses on social media about the love of Jesus, only to follow that up with hostile, if not derogatory, insults against some political, cultural, or religious figure, well, when Christians who claim to be full of love mix that with disparaging comments about a politician, it strikes people looking at it as a bit hypocritical. People then believe that our love is worthless, that our love is conditional on people agreeing with the right political, economic, or cultural positions. Now, when Jesus walked this planet as a man, who did he rail against the most? He railed against a group of people who believed that they passionately loved God, the Pharisees. And, you know, 
The Pharisees did do some good things. Uh, they, they were not all bad, okay? But they lacked love when it came to people who did not line up with their religious and political views, who were not as passionate about keeping the letter of the law as they were. How did Jesus respond to these passionate Jews who really believed that they loved God with all they had, but at the same time lacked love for the people that uh, didn't agree with them? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Now, I've got to be honest here. Every now and then I have to stop myself and ask, Doug, am I being a Pharisee? Because let me confess, sometimes I am not as careful as I should be about my own political or even religious passions. I have had to, on multiple occasions, rethink and delete a social media post when I have become incensed by something someone else has said that, I, you know, I, I post in response to something and then I end up being a little bit mean-spirited towards another individual. It's kind of easy for a guy like me, I, I, I'm a bit passionate, I have a bit of a fiery Irish temperament to let it fly, and I confess I do sometimes, but it is not the way of Jesus. I cannot use the excuse of my passion or my temperament to cross a line and demean another human being. Now, I can promote what I believe. I can attack the opposition that someone holds, but I have to love the person who holds the view that I don't hold. Here's how Jesus put it. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Catch that Jesus attaches loving our enemies as part of what it means to be a child of God. That's a, that's a pretty heavy statement. To be a child of God means loving your enemy. So how are you doing? Let's go on. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Friends, some of you may not like to hear this, but our God loves and cares for our enemies. And he expects that we, with the Holy Spirit in us, that we would do the same, that we would love our enemies. This is just part of what it means to follow Jesus. And remember, we actually have a supernatural power within us to love. The Spirit is in us. The Spirit of love is in us. It's our choice then to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit because he is there if you are a Christ follower. Okay, as I said, I'm not totally innocent as I preach all this. Let, let me pick one issue that is not a passion for most of you, but a lot, but many of you here. And, and many of you already know that it's a passion of mine. It is a, a passion for a group of us who are part of the hunting and shooting sports community. Most of you know, I own shotguns, rifles, handguns. I love the shooting sports. If you've been around here, you know that. I get away with talking about that a lot here in Fort McMurray in a way that would never happen in Toronto. So here I am in Fort McMurray. I'm among a fair-sized group of people who get really amped up about gun control issues, like really amped up. When some out there promotes gun control by throwing out false information about firearms and playing on the fear and hysteria of people who do not understand guns, my, gut, my blood begins to boil. My, my instant gut reaction is to rail against what I see as the stupidity of the person in championing gun control with false information who refuses to deal with what I see as the root issues of gun violence. That just seems so obvious to me. 
I mean, I could name people who tick me off in this area. But Jesus calls me to love them. I can't get away from that. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to love everyone, including my enemies, including politicians who I think are making asinine comments, okay? So what's a Christ follower to do? I can argue passionately, strongly, for what I believe is right and true. That is okay. While showing respect for the person who holds views that I do not uh, agree with. But, you know, views that I think are irrational, damaging, maybe even just stupid, right? I gotta do what the Apostle Paul encourages me to do. I gotta speak the truth in love. I don't shy away from my understanding of truth, but I do it in love. This is where it sucks to follow Jesus, right? No, really know it. might feel like that sometimes. It's frustrating because I, I want to lead with my sin nature, not my new nature. I, I, I want to lead with my flesh, not the spirit who was in me. But I know in the long run, the way of love ultimately wins. Love wins. It, it really does. What I've discovered as I've studied the Bible and looked at people who truly love like Jesus, who truly allow the Holy Spirit to lead them and how they express their passions and love, people who love like Jesus view other people through perhaps four distinct lenses. It's the kind of love that Jesus shows, love through four lenses, love that is compassionate, love that is humble, love that is respectful, and love that is courageous. Compassionate, humble, respectful, courageous. Let's talk about compassion. By, by being compassionate, I, I mean showing empathy. People who live with empathy, and they, they understand that we live in a broken, uh, sin-wrecked world where every human being is broken and messed up by sin so that every single person in this world needs Jesus, not rejection. I'll say that again. Every single person in this world needs Jesus, not rejection. That statement goes far beyond politics. We'll have to unpack that some other day, but people need Jesus. Next, humble. People who are humble seek to listen to and understand people of opposing points of view. They listen with gentleness and respect. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we are respectful in our disagreements. We listen before we speak. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes Jesus and the implications that this has for you and me. In your relationships, got that? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, to love like Jesus is to empty yourself so that you serve others with humility. And really, that's pretty powerful. When, when people see us living like this, they are attracted to the Jesus who is empowering us to love, to love with humility. Next is respect. When we're talking about being respectful, what we're really doing is understanding that you have never met a human being, no matter how strongly you dislike that person or disagree with that person, you have never met another human being that does not reflect in some way, uh, at some point in time, the image of God. Every single human being is created by God, is loved by God, 
and reflects the image of God in this world. This means we love the dignity found in every human being more than we despise the sin and depravity that some people exhibit. Let me say again, because this is huge. We love the dignity found in every single person more than we despise their sin and depravity. And one last expression of love, where we are courageous. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak, speak truthfully to your neighbor. That means we are a people who speak out. We are not a silent people. We do push back against injustice. We will cast vision for what life can be like when you follow Jesus and, and align your lives with his ways. But, but friends, our words are always marked by kindness and respect because in the end, we are ambassadors for Jesus. We are ambassadors for the love of Jesus. We speak boldly with love. If we are people, you know, who live in love like Jesus, if our goal is to love well in this world as Jesus asks us, then we will demonstrate love that is compassionate, love that is humble, love that is respectful, love that is courageous, compassionate, humble, respectful, courageous. We're not talking wimpy. We're talking strength that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. That is where the phrase we use at Fort City, you know, gracious barbarians come in. We are a bold people. We are a passionate people. We're a little bit on the barbarian side. But in our passion and boldness, you know, that boldness that is full of courage, we are compassionate, humble, and respectful. We are gracious, gracious barbarians. And remember, if you are a Jesus follower, Jesus says you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We have been called to influence people. We, we have been called to have eternal influence. And friends, the, the world will judge whether our faith is legitimate or not by our love. Hey, it's okay to be passionate about the issues you believe in. It's okay to be passionate about your politics. But will you put your faith first? Will you put Jesus first? Will you seek to live and love like Jesus first? And with those priorities in place, go campaign for the leader, the party you believe in, and the issues that are close to your heart. And may Fort City as a church family model how we are gracious with one another so that when we don't see eye to eye, we still love our neighbors as ourselves and we will love whoever comes into this church as we love ourselves. Make sense? Will you accept the challenge? Between now and October 21st, will you put your faith ahead of your politics? Will you love first? Next week. We start a new series called Fight because people who follow Jesus are not wimps, they're not pushovers. We are involved in the battle for lives. We personally yearn to live. You know, there's a battle for what life we want to live, a, a battle for the lives of our family and neighbors, a battle for our country and world, for a city and a world that is better. But you'll understand why we did this message first before we got into this series called Fight. We'll learn how to fight, for the most part, as gracious barbarians. Now next week, we'll kick the series off looking at the fight we have with the unseen world and we'll look at the weapons that Jesus gives us for a supernatural fight and maybe we're not quite as gracious there, but that's next week. 
And so my challenge to you as well is don't forget to invite your friends and neighbors to join you on a Sunday here at Fort City. This series fight is going to be immensely practical for the battles we all fight in various fronts. I mean, personal battles, spiritual battles, just the reality of living in a hard world. Part of your mission is to love your neighbor by getting them to listen to maybe helpful content for God's word while experiencing the presence of God in Sunday worship. So with courage and with love, will you be an inviter? Let's pray. Father God, just want to thank you for your crazy love for us. And I I ask you to help us demonstrate that crazy love in a country and a world that is so polarized. Thank you for allowing us to live in a country where we can talk about this and where we can freely elect our governments, where if government were to change in this election, it would be a bloodless transition that would not happen in so many parts of the world today. Jesus, help us to love well while we're not silent as we seek to put our faith before politics. May the world know that we are Christians by our bold and gracious love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.